question. Could a person walk out on the beach, look at the ocean and ponder it and say, there is a God? They could. Question. Could a person who has no knowledge of God walk out on the beach and be saved? No. What you're describing is general revelation. That's the first page of page 22. And that is, I'm halfway in Romans 1. It's like the third verse down, fourth verse down. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So God's saying all unbelievers are without excuse to say there's not a God when God's made himself clear in creation. Further, in Romans it says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. So God has given a conscience to human beings to know what is right and what is wrong, but human beings choose what? Wrong. This is proved throughout history. So general revelation is the knowledge of God's existence, character, and moral laws which comes through creation to all humanity. So this is everybody. Now, special revelation on page 23 is God's words addressed to a specific people. The words of the Bible, the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament apostles, the personal words of God himself. Summed up in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Now, what follows an example of the prophets, Jeremiah, the apostles, Acts, and the personal words of God spoken directly Exodus chapter 3. Now, what I want to talk about is special revelation and the necessity of it, the necessity of God speaking. So turn to page, page 24. Christianity is based upon revelation. If God in all of his sovereign majesty did not choose to reveal himself to mankind, there would be no true knowledge of him nor the possibility of a true relationship with him. We are bound to him by what he has chosen to reveal to us about himself. We are bound to him by what he has chosen to reveal to us about himself. So here's the definition of the necessity of Scripture. The Bible is necessary, essential, for knowledge of the gospel, for maintaining spiritual life, and for certain knowledge of God's will. First, the Bible is necessary for knowledge of the gospel. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Answer, they won't. And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? What's the answer? They will not. And how will they hear unless someone without someone preaching? Answer, they will not. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Ah, now we have a problem. We can't say they're not because they have been. Jesus has explicitly sent all believers in the Great Commission with the gospel to proclaim it to those who are not Christians. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, the definite article is there. It does not just say preach good news. They preach the good news, the gospel. 
but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes by what? Hearing, and it's very specific, and hearing through the word of Christ. So I'm standing over there getting, you know, getting in my mind what I'm going to say this next one. And y'all put these flashback pictures of me in the short shorts from the early 90s. And I remember how I got in trouble here, early 90s. There was a famous country music singer who wrote this song about the long black train. Remember this one? And, and he was being interviewed, and, and this was like real public knowledge, and he was a, a Christian, and he's being interviewed on this thing, and he explained his salvation. And the interviewer's eyes go, said, well, how did this happen to you? He said, well, I was, I, was, I was about to cross a railroad track in my truck, and I saw a train coming, and when I saw the light, I was saved. No, he wasn't. I don't know what he thinks happened to him, but he wasn't saved. Because, because, here's what I know. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So I preached this at Club Paradise and it erupted. Because here's what was true of a lot of not just the kids who were at this camp. It was a big camp, by the way. Back then they used to let us rent the whole camp and we had a thousand people here doing camp. And then we, they decided that wasn't a good idea. So multiple churches came and, and did it anyway. So not only did kids not believe this, there were Youth pastors that didn't believe what I said. So what were these people rejecting? They were rejecting the necessity of Scripture. Now, they were doing it in the guise of love and openness, and I bet if it was said to me one time, it was said to me 50 times that night, who are you to judge what happened to him? Well, I am who to judge what the Bible says clearly, I can bring that to bear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So let me be absolutely clear. If somebody does not hear the gospel, they will never be saved. And if they do not believe the gospel by faith, they will never be saved. Period. The gospel is essential to salvation. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it and it alone is the power of God for salvation to what? Everyone who believes. Who believes what? The gospel. Not just believes something, who believes the gospel. So let's just pause for a second. Maybe this happened this week. Maybe you've been here and, and this week you have believed the gospel and what you have heard sung, what you have heard proclaimed, what you've shared with people in your small groups. Maybe this week the power of God has been applied to you and you have believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We've done this many times. There are several people in this room I've seen. If that's happened to you this week, that you have believed the gospel, uh, would, you, would you just stand up right where you are? Right now. Because what does it say at the beginning of this verse? What does it say? I am not ashamed. So who would unashamedly stand up and say, I've believed the gospel this week? Or, or let me widen it just a little bit. You've never publicly proclaimed that you're a follower of Jesus. And here's what you've understood this week. The word of God tells me how I'm to live my life. And I am not to be ashamed of the gospel. And you've never publicly proclaimed. Who would do that? Right now, just stand to your feet and say, I want to say I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Anybody? 
I won't, I won't stand up here. I'm, my, my, my worth is not built in somebody standing up at this moment. So my trust is in the gospel. Anybody? Now, here's what's going to happen. As soon as this is over, you're going to go to small groups, and they're going to be more than one. I'm not going to put a number. Who are going to say, I really wanted to stand up, but I was scared to death. Okay? Let's go ahead and have that conversation. There's no shame in that moment that you were afraid to stand up right now. But will you have that conversation either with your friends in your group or with your leader? And let's progress in that conversation as to what God is doing with you. Because here's what I want to say to you. Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. I want to say it clearly to you. There's no promise you're going to hear him again. Don't bank on that. If you're hearing God clearly speak to you and convict you of your need of the gospel, respond to him today. Moving on. Number two. The Bible is necessary for maintaining spiritual life. Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So what's Jesus saying here? The Bible is more important to you than what? Food. That's not hyperbole. He means it. The Bible is more important to you than food. That you cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Second Peter makes this incredible statement about the scripture. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us into his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, so through these promises, through God's word, these great and precious promises, through them, you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So, here's the question. Because you live in a sinful generation where people have gone whack crazy, do you have to live whacked crazy? No, that's the promise right here. If you are a Christian, you have become a partaker of the divine nature. That means... God lives inside of you. And God has given you his word to inform you as to how you are to live so that you do not have to live like the rest of the world lives. He has given you how much you need. It's a real key word here. He has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness. God's just not giving you some of what you need. God's given you everything that you need. Third, the Bible is necessary for certain knowledge of God's will. Now, this is tied to the previous thing. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, 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 so young people, I want to say this clearly to you. You choose to live in your flesh and to live life your way, then you're going to reap the reward of that. Don't you think that you can live like a pagan through your college and young adult years and then just suddenly one day pick up Christianity again and not reap the consequences of what you did through college and your young adult years? Now, God grants repentance. What I'm saying to you is that you're going to reap the consequences of not following him for that period of time. They're real consequences. 
God has said to you, don't be conformed to this world. You be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that through the word is, and then you will discern what God's will is for your life. So in case you're not understanding what I'm saying, you continue to yield to sin in your flesh, you're not going to be living in God's will. It's not going to happen. You've got to be transformed by the word of God that your life is transformed to live for Christ. And it starts in your mind, in your heart, then you can discern what the will of the Lord is. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is the plan for every believer in this room's future. Every one of you. This is God's simple plan for your future. You follow this, you will do God's will for your life. You will. It's not might, you will. I promise you, you will. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Now, what's going to correct you from doing that? The Bible. The Bible is going to correct you from leaning on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. How are you going to know how to do that? How are you going to know how to acknowledge God in all your ways? The Bible. And he will make your path straight. So when you don't lean on your own understanding, you acknowledge him in all your ways, then God's going to give you a straight path in life to where? To him. To what he desires for you. There is where you find your plan for the future. Now, here's the issue. Here's the issue in some of you right now. That's not what you want. You want what your flesh wants. And again, I go back. You're going to reap the reward of that. You're going to get what you want. In fact, you get what you want. You know how often? You know how often? Every time. You, you, you follow your flesh, you're going to reap the flesh. You follow the spirit, you reap the spirit. Now, page 26 and we're done. Let's go back to Hebrews 4.12 one more time. Hebrews 4.12. If everything I've said this week is true, then these four things must happen in our lives, individually and collectively. First, I must be exposed to the Bible. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow, of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You ever been scared to do something? You ever been scared to try something? Afraid that, 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 that if, you, if, you, if you tried it, you might not succeed? Any, any of you ever not signed up for a class because you're afraid you wouldn't make an A in it? Ever happened to anybody in here? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Some people are being honest. All right? Scared, scared if, you, if you did that, you, you, might not, you might not quite make it. Anybody ever been afraid to try out for a team because you're afraid you might get cut? Fear keeps us from a lot of things. And listen, people know what happens when you get exposed to the Bible. Right? When you, when you get exposed to the Bible, it penetrates who you are. And I'm firmly convinced of this. I've already said it. I'm going to say it one more time and say it strongly. I'm convinced one of the reasons people stay away from the Bible is because they know what the Bible does. What I'm saying to you, here's what's necessary. It is necessary that I am exposed to the Bible. 
Now, what does that mean then? How am I exposed to the Bible? First or next, I must hear the Bible. Faith comes, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by what? Hearing. So I hear the Bible by the Bible being taught. I hear the Bible by reading the Bible. So God has this incredible way that the human mind works that when you read, whether you say anything out loud or not, you hear. That in your mind you are hearing. Faith comes by hearing. We must hear what the Bible says. And closely tied to that, but different, is that we must study the Bible. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 15, Paul is admonishing a young believer, a young Christian worker, Timothy, who's been exposed to the Bible since his childhood, who could have said, you know, I know the Bible. I got this thing down pat. But Paul says to him, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, I think most perfectionistic Americans read this because this is how we are. I think we read this and when we hear the Bible say, as a workman or as a worker does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the truth, I think we think that means that if I got up in front of people and led a Bible study and I, and I was awkward and I didn't do it right, I was going to feel shame because I was weird in front of people. Is that what it means? Look at the verse. Re read through the verse again. See if you can figure out who you don't want to be ashamed in front of. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be, what? Rightly handling the word of truth. Folks, we don't want to be ashamed before God. We don't want to mishandle the word before God. I bring you back to what I said, I think, yesterday. You're going to answer for every word that comes out of your mouth. This is why James says those who teach are going to be judged more strictly. I'm not, be, I'm not being like, I am going to answer to God for what I have said this week. Every bit of it. which some people have asked me over the years, Jeff, you're just so serious. Yeah. Now, humor's okay occasionally. I laugh, it's fine to smile during a sermon. It's fine to make fun of yourself or see something that's funny. Jesus saw things that were funny, okay? But this is not like a lighthearted moment when we come to the Scripture. We're going to answer to God for that. And you're going to answer to God for how you handled the Bible. You say, well, okay, wait. That scares me to death. I just won't handle it. All right. <laughs> How's that going to work? Oh, God, I was scared of it, so I just stayed away from it. You think that, that argument's going to work? No, it's not going to. The Bible is accessible. It is here, and we must rightly divide the word. Now, here's what I've done. Some of you, several of you have asked, I, I just want to get started. 
Help me get started. How do I get started reading the Bible? So here's what we did. Uh, if you don't follow Parkwood students on Instagram, I trust most of you do Instagram. What we just posted on Instagram is a July 30-day reading plan to get the story of the Bible. So it starts in Genesis and for 30 days, you're going to work your way all the way to Revelation. In 30 days. You're not, now you say, I'm going to read the whole Bible in 30 days. Is that what I just said? No. It's going to take you through and help you get the big mountain peaks of the Bible so you can connect the big story. Now, here's what, here's what needs to happen. You don't just need to do that personally. You need to get a friend or two to do it with you. And y'all need to text each other at the end of every day and say, Hey, did you read Genesis today? Did, did you read that part in Exodus today? What would be really cool is if about once a week, some of you get together and have coffee and just talk about it. What's your understanding? What are you discovering? What are you learning? Getting the big picture of the Bible down. Then from there, you can expand into other places as to what you do. Now, I'm, I'm going I'm to go a step further with this big picture. This book is God's big picture. Some of you going to college, those of you in college, you need to buy this, read this. This could be the greatest tool of evangelism you could have in your dorm. It's for you to work through understanding the true big picture of the Bible and then saying to a lost friend, hey, would you, you know, would you just mind doing a study with me where we just walk through and you just understand what the Bible actually is? We'll just read it together or I'll, I'll, we'll just meet once a week and share and just walk through the big picture. Now, what, what are you doing? You're, you're introducing them to the Bible, but ultimately, what's the big picture about? What is it? It's about Christ. It's going to get you to the gospel. And uh, I believe some of you would see some friends saved that you know and love. All right. Last thing. Folks, this is ultimately where it's at. I must obey the Bible. I must obey the Bible. Sometimes God speaks in very clear commands. Don't kill. Don't murder. Sometimes God speaks in broad commands. Love your neighbor. Sometimes God tells a story, and you've got to apply that story as to how that works out in your life. Sometimes it's more obvious than others. But it is all getting to how we live out our faith. Psalm 119, verse 8, 1 through 8 says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless. By the way, what's Psalm 119 about? You know what it's about? Nobody knows. It's about the Bible. Psalm 119 is about the Bible. There's something significant about Psalm 119, 119, besides it's about the Bible. What is significant about Psalm 119? It's the longest chapter in the Bible. Now, it starts out here with this promise. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, before it starts to tell you what the Bible is and what the Bible is supposed to do, it gives you a promise. How blessed are those whose way is blameless. A blessed life is a life that obeys God. 
Blessed are those who keep his testimony, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Now, watch what shifts here in verse 5. Oh, that my way may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. What happened right there? What did the writer start doing? What is that? What's he doing before God? He's praying. You see, you turn the Bible and it's, it's not just, all, what do I do, what do I do? Now, now the Bible here is teaching you how to pray. Oh, oh, that my way may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. Now, when I read the Bible, it's not just going to cause me to obey him in action. What's it going to cause me to do according to this verse? Verse 7. If I read the Bible, it's going to cause me to do what? Praise God. It's going to cause me to worship God. When I learn your righteous rules, then verse 8. I will keep your statutes. Now, what is that? It's a bold statement. What what is the writer doing here? It's my answer. What's he doing? He's what? He's making a promise. That's right, but I'd go deeper than that. But I also want to add, I'm not looking for an exact word here. Describe it more. What's he doing? All right, Seth and Bethany are going to stand in front of Ben Francis about 30 days, a little better than that, and they're going to say, I will. That's more than a promise. It's a commitment. It's a covenant. I'm going to keep this. I'm going to do this. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. You know what the writer's saying? I'm staking my life on you. I'm laying it out there. It is all on you. Don't don't forsake me. Now, what did Jesus promise in the Great Commission? He will never leave us nor forsake us. That's a promise. That's going to be kept. I will keep your statutes. Now, we're not going to have like a come forward and kneel and all that. Listen, whether you pray the prayer, whether you make this covenant with God or not, will be evident six weeks from now. Whether you make this covenant with God or not will be evident when you graduate from college. Whether you make this covenant with God or not will play out in who you marry. Whether you make this covenant with God or not will play out in what it looks like when you retire from your job. It ultimately will play out when you stand before God himself. Now let me be clear. We don't keep his statutes so God will save us. But because he has saved us, we keep his statutes. He has redeemed us and empowered us to be his people. Now, before I lead us in a prayer and we conclude, I want to ask you to do something for me. Don't look at the first page. I want you to again... 
based off of everything you've heard and thought about, I want you to define the Bible on page 26. I want you to take just a minute, and I want you to write a sentence or two, and I want you to define the Bible. Don't go back and look at what you wrote to begin with. I want you to define the Bible. Pretend I'm a non-Christian, and I have no idea what it is. I want you to give me a short but thorough explanation of what the Bible is. All right, several of you are finishing. Now just compare it to what you wrote the first night. It's a little different for some of you. It's a little different. Anybody? A little different? Is anybody, is, is anybody, is it a lot different for some of you? All right, listen. You're going to be asked, if you truly follow Jesus, you're going to be asked in a pagan world one of two questions, maybe both. What is the Bible, or why in the world do you people base your life on the Bible? That definition that you just wrote down should be able to answer that second question. Why in the world do you people Base your life on the Bible. You need a ready defense to not only explain it, but to show them what you believe. And I'm going to tell you this. You don't read your Bible from this point forward, you'll go, Oh, back here in 2017, I was at a camp, and that dude talked about it a long time. I don't remember what he said. But if you will consecrate yourself, that's a big word, if you will commit yourself to Psalm 119, 1 through 8, when somebody asks you that question, bam, the word will pour forth from you, and here's what God will do in spite of you, through you, and with you. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. My prayer is that God will raise you up to be men and women of the word who are not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. I want you to bow your heads with me. I've challenged you multiple ways. And I've learned over the years of doing things like this not to make, ask you to make commitments that are huge and grandiose. But I am going to conclude 
with you before God to make a simple commitment. And that is, I'm going to read my Bible daily in the month of July. And I'm going to tell somebody that I know is going to ask me about it. I'm going to tell them in the next 24 hours that that's what I'm going to do. And ask them to help me make sure that I do it. Father, we know that you bless your word. You bless the reading of your word and the proclamation of your word. Lord, I, I am convinced through what the discussions I've had and, and what I've witnessed and seen in the hearts and lives of these young men and women that you're working in them and you've brought tremendous conviction to many of them. Lord, I pray for the rubber as it meets the road as we go from here. That they will both place themselves under the hearing of your word in local churches as they grow and move away from where they live. And Lord, that they will daily give themselves to the reading of Scripture and to the study of the Bible. And I pray you would help them as they begin. Thank you for a good week and a good time to share. And I pray you would do what only you could do in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name.